0: Things don't always go according to plan, and that rings especially true for our guest this week, Ben Tankard. After growing up poor in Florida, it seemed like Ben had found a way out. He had just joined the NBA and was at his first practice session when an injury ended his basketball career before it even had a chance to begin. After that blow, he started working as a dog catcher and would take his lunch breaks playing piano in a local music store. When a woman came in and purchased the piano he was playing, The shopkeeper asked him to ditch the dog-catching uniform and demo pianos for his customers. That was when he realized that music was more than just something to pass his lunch break. Today, Ben is a highly regarded gospel jazz musician, a preacher, and even has his own reality TV show. He joins us to tell a story on how he became the musical pioneer that he is today.
1: All right, so you want to find out about my childhood.
0: Yeah, let's, uh, let's get started there, right at the beginning.
1: Okay. Well, I was uh, born and raised in Florida, Daytona Beach, in fact. And you normally hear Daytona Beach in reference to spring break and vacation. But I'm here to tell you, I came up on the side of town where we never saw the beach. <laughs> 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 I was born in a very, very poor environment. My parents were migrant farmers, so we traveled around Florida quite a bit to different areas just following the crops. Um, Neither one of my parents were very educated. My dad was a third-grade education, and my mom was um, high school. So there wasn't a lot of money in the house, very, very poor. So we just did some of everything to kind of keep it together and make the ends meet. And I ended up having to help out quite a bit collecting aluminum cans after school, uh, doing farm work, shoveling chicken manure on a chicken farm one summer, just all kinds of stuff. But my light at the end of the tunnel for my childhood, even though my parents were very, very loving, very close-knit family, we were just just so destitute, so poor, my light at the end of the tunnel was my height, six foot six by the time I was in the sixth grade, and so I started playing basketball and also became a Very, very good musician, drummer in the band, tuba in the band. Uh, Long story short, by the time I got ready to graduate from high school, by this time we were living in North Florida, near Tallahassee, Florida, in a little small town called Chattahoochee, Florida, population 2,000. Uh, By the time I got ready to graduate from high school, I had um, 30 scholarship offers for band and 35 for basketball. And because I was a tuba player and my folks did not think that I would make that much of a living as a tuba player. Who's going to call you in the the studio to cut tuba tracks on their album? (laughs) They said, son, you're black, you're tall, we're poor, play ball, please. (laughs) So I took the basketball scholarship in an effort to go pro and come back and get my family out of this ghetto. And that's my story on childhood to the NBA. I got to the NBA and got injured my first practice. Uh, I wasn't a recruited player. I walked on after playing some Canadian ball. I was invited to Portland Trailblazers camp. If I can just get through this camp, uh, I'll be the guy that's coming off the bench as a shooting guard behind Clyde, the Glide Drex. So my, my dream was to be the next Jordan. And uh, of course, every kid that plays ball, that's their dream. And, but I was injured in my first practice, guys. Not not first game. Never made it to a game. Can you imagine being raised poor your whole life with your two sisters, all three of you sleeping in one bed because there's only two bedrooms and two bedrooms in this shotgun house. So, it's a kids' room and the parents' room. Being raised in tight quarters and and being hungry and on public assistance. You know, having to keep it all together and then finally get the chance to go to the NBA and then get injured in your first practice, and not get to see one game. very, very, very depressing. So uh, I was so I was so depressed about missing out on the contract. You know, they dropped me from the team once I got injured. I was so depressed about that. That is actually what led me to go to church. I went to a church revival that was going on, and I went because I knew they would have some chicken dinner. They'd be eating at the church. <laughs> and I went I went to this church service, and yeah. I did, the minister made an altar call, and you know, I went up front and I turned my life around. and accepted God in my life. My parents were ministers, so I knew about God, but I really didn't take it serious because, you know, um, I was just going to church. With Mom and Dad and made you go, but since once once I got away from them and at you know got it to the NBA and then got injured and got cut, and here I am on my own, hungry, and God guy said, come on, give your life to God. Make, a, make another turn. So I came up. I said, yeah, whatever. Let me just get through this so I can get the chicken. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I uh, was, you know, I, I accepted God in my life and the minister. What he did was he prayed for me and he told me to sit down to the piano. Now, I had never played keys before. I had played tuba and basketball, as I earlier stated. And that's all I knew. No education, because I dropped out of college early to, to play ball. So no education, just, you know, no plans, no 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 lessons whatsoever in piano playing. You know, I'm a tuba player and a drummer with a broken knee, with a messed up knee. That's all I got. So he told me to sit down to the piano, you know, just by faith, just do it, you know, because I asked you. So I said, okay, what the heck? So I sat down and, and I put my hands on the keys and I began to play. The piano, just like you hear me play on my CDs today, it came out exactly like it is today. I've never had a a lesson, and here I am sounding like Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, George Duke, Joe Sample in a church, a Pentecostal church. (laughs) Now, how weird is that? And so that's where quote unquote gospel jazz was born Um, up to that up to that point you know most gospel artists would sing a a jazzy song on their record you know as part of their repertoire in concert and most jazz artists would sometimes toy with a gospel song as part of their repertoire but before i did it nobody did an entire record of it 10 to 12 songs and nobody referred to themselves as a gospel jazz artist. That's where gospel jazz came from. And so there was a season of homelessness, the season of depression, you know, uh, right after that gift came because nobody knew what it was about. Here I am calling it gospel jazz, but there's nobody there to pay me to do it. Couldn't get a job as a musician. So I took a job as a dog catcher. So I'm a dog catcher for five years, between the NBA and between the time anybody ever heard what gospel mm. jazz was. So I'm catching dogs in Tallahassee, Florida, and I'm working for the Dog Pound, and there is a requirement uh, that I bring back 12 stray dogs to the Dog Pound at the end of my shift every day. Mm. <laughs> Guys, they gave me a badge that said Animal Control officer. Now, you and I know that you cannot arrest a dog. <laughs> <laughs> that was just to keep me encouraged. I was the dog catcher three, you know, required to bring 12 dogs back to the dog town at the end of my shift. That's where my, that's where I really began to to develop my faith. And I think that's where God really began to turn me into a minister. Because here I am, a former basketball player that with all the lights and the stars that I thought I was going to have coming my way. I'm humbling myself because uh, you know, I'm, I'm catching dogs. I got, you know, I'm six foot six still. I'm catching dogs and I, and I have a jerry curl hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I need God in my life at this point. Because <clears throat> I got I to bring 12 dogs back to the dog pound or lose my job. I get up at five o'clock. Here it is at 3 p.m. And I only have four dogs in the truck. I've got to really use my prayer life to get these other eight dogs because somebody's about to get their dog stole. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and so I, I got a lot of pieces to this story. And uh, the next piece is very interesting because here I am depressed about being able to play like this, but nobody wants to pay me for it. No, no music job. Church, The church people said I was too jazzy. The 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 nightclub jazz people said I was too gospel, so I'm right there in between and no in no man's land and nobody to write with, nobody to record with, and I'm catching dogs to, to, to eat. You know this is not working, and so I went into a music store that that sold pianos. I'll never forget it. It's called Main Street Music on Main Street in Tallahassee, Florida. On my lunch break, with my dog catching uniform on. I go in and I sit down to the piano and start playing around on people's piano. I don't have the money to buy it, but it doesn't cause anything to catch drive, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm messing around with the synthesizers, messing around with the pianos. One day while I'm in here on my lunch break, dog trucks parked outside, got some dogs in it. I'm on my lunch break, dog catching uniform on with the badge, I'm inside the store playing a piano that I can't afford first. One day while I'm playing, a lady comes in the store, hears me playing. She's shopping for a piano. She hears me playing and she says, oh my goodness. She tells the store owner, oh my goodness. I'll buy the piano that dog is playing," <laughs> <laughs> And it's a $65,000 piano. So the store owner comes over and says, keep playing until I close (laughs) the (laughs) sale. And so then he said, can you come back tomorrow? So I came back on my lunch break the next day. Same thing happened, fellas. Customer in there, different customer, different piano, same dog catcher. But the same thing happened. Hey, man, I like what I'm hearing. I'll buy the piano that the dog catcher's. And this happened time and time again. Uh, if you really want to see a cool story, go to YouTube after we get done. Just Google Joel Osteen shares the Ben Tanker story. He tells his story in two minutes or less to twenty thousand people. Very cool. Hmm. And so I, um, I, you know, I'm in this, you know, music store playing around on on, on my lunch break, and every time I play something. The people buy the piano that I'm playing. So the store owner comes over, this late 80s, says, Tank, man, I love it when you come in and mess with the keyboards, man. Every time you play, somebody buys something. I really don't think they are buying the keyboard. I really think they're buying the dog catcher's sound. Those were the words he used. He said, man, there is really something on you. There's something to your music. Why are you catching dogs anyway? And I said, well, just nobody cares about gospel jazz. That's what I call it. And um, I don't know what to do next. Then he says, um, how much are they paying you to catch dogs? dog? So, well, I'll get paid $980 a month as a dog catcher three. <laughs> now, if I was a dog catcher four, that would require that I bring 15 dogs back to the dog pound at the end of my seat. That's too much pressure so I just kept the dog catcher three this <laughs> and $980 a month he said, he said you get paid $980 a month to catch a dog what would I need to pay you for you to just come in here and just pay, play the piano from 9 to 5 I'm like are you kidding $979.99 <laughs> <laughs> so he hired me on the spot to become a keyboard demonstrator for Main Street Music fellas I didn't I didn't, even call the, I didn't even go back to the dog pound to quit. I called him on the phone. I said, listen, this is Tank. I am mailing you your uniform. I quit. You might want to come get your dog truck. It's parked outside with four puppies in it, and it's 92 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first music job. And it was God working behind the scenes for me because here I am able to play whatever I wanted in the store from nine to five and I'm writing songs I'm just testing out different timbres different keyboards synthesizers this is in the early dx 7 yamaha drum machine world you know started learning all that midi stuff it's taught, taught taught me everything about musical instrument digital interface drum machine sequencers and so I'm learning all this equipment so I can sell it to the customers, but at the same time, I'm really developing as quite the independent producer. People are coming over to, to my house and I'm recording demos for 25, 30 bucks an hour. Um, I'm, I'm able to purchase equipment by 60, 60% off with my employee discount. So this, all this thing seemed like a divine setup for me. You know, God working behind the scenes for me, the transition from basketball to learning how to play with no lessons. Uh, so he, you know, he, that was that was a big jump, skip, no education. He just added this dimension to my mind where I knew what I was playing. This, this revelation, rather than education, and now I'm working in the store and getting paid to learn the equipment so I can develop my own home studio and work with the public. This is God working behind the scenes. So pretty soon, that nine hundred and seventy nine dollars a month I was making from the store, I was able to make that uh, in a month at home. You know, after work, and then the better I got, I was able to make that uh, in a week, and then a day, and then an hour, and so uh, I resigned from the music store and became full time the Note Music Productions, Tallahassee, Florida, and that's when I recorded my own record, my first record, all keyed up. Company from Nashville heard it because I was selling it independently at some church conventions, and they signed me to a record deal, moved me to Nashville where I was the president, became the president of Diadem Tribute Records, part of the Benson system, and later bought by Verity and Sony. And I was able to discover artists and produce other artists like Yolanda Adams, Fred Hammer, Jake Six, John P. Key, the Clark Sisters, Mike Clark, Kirk Franklin. All these opportunities came once I moved to Nashville. And no, less, no lessons in piano, no lessons in producing, no lessons in writing, all kind of God-given and picked up along the way. And so that is the uh, kind of the 10, 15-minute version of Ben Tankard's story. Now I've got you know, multiple gold and platinum records on the wall. I live in a 15,000-square-foot mansion in Tennessee with a vacation home in Destin, Florida, vacation home in Atlanta, vacation home in Detroit, you know, nine vehicles and two airplanes. But who would have thought that came out of the dog catcher or somebody that used to shovel chicken manure in Florida? Yeah.
0: Do you, were you um, practicing music before you would go into Main Street music? And were you practicing music outside? Or was that just kind of um, just an interest that you had, but you weren't able to really execute on it?
1: Yeah, I wanted to practice, but I didn't have a keyboard. Couldn't afford to buy one on the dog catcher's salary. So the only time I got to really play was when I went to a church on Sunday and um, really couldn't play what I wanted to play because my music was so temporary and so jazzy, I'd get the side-eye by the deacons, you know. <laughs> if I'm, mm-hmm. you know so, so they allowed me to play with the church choir and, and the church groups and stuff, but they wouldn't pay me to be part of the staff, but they would allow me to be part of the band. And, you know, I, I'd have to try to play as traditional as I could. But every now and then I just throw a little jazz chord in there, and everybody was like, "Hey, what's he playing?" <laughs> so I really couldn't cut loose on what I wanted to play until my lunch break Monday through Friday, when I went into Main Street Music, jumped on their key. Were you musically
0: liter- literate before, from your your high school band experience, or was that something that you didn't pick up then until you you sat down at that piano? Uh,
1: well, I was, uh, you know, I was an all American tuba player, so I didn't know bass cliff. You know, I was. Um, I offered 35 Tuba scholarships. So, you know, I was considered a brilliant musician from a Tuba standpoint. Hmm. But uh, playing playing Tuba, at least during that time, being an expert Tuba player was almost like painting yourself into a corner. You know, how, how are you going to get out of here? Because there wasn't any opportunities. Now I think there are more than it was when I came out. But um hmm. it was just kind of like the Dead Man Walking Back then. Yeah,
0: not, not a lot of solo Tuba albums that um at least I've been listening exactly. to. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, Ben, we talk to a lot of people on this podcast, and they probably have more traditional stories than you, or uh, at least different, because they're working in commercial music and they're producing stuff, and they're driving people around, and they're waiting for that one person to call them and say, like, "Hey, we want to use your song," and that's like their—that's the switch for them, where they—it's like Jennifer Lopez calls them, and they want to cut their song, and that's their big break. You're certainly more of kind of a a self-made but would you say that you have a one moment that just was the switch that that
1: was when it happened for you uh it happened for me from the from the sideline or what i like uh, there's a motivational speaker by the name of ryan tracy that talks about leading from the middle uh it happened for me from the sideline not out front it happened for me when um I had a chance to, quote, unquote, discover Yolanda Adams, who was a third grade school teacher back in 1990. And uh, she was this six foot tall uh, black woman that could just, she's real skinny, but she sounded like Aretha when she sung. She had this big voice and she was singing with a choir in Texas. And um, I got her tape and uh, I invited her to Nashville to board with my company that I was working with. And her record just blew up overnight and it was my songs with her voice that really brought me to the forefront you know she did a lot of hits we did about 40 songs together but she became like the celine celine dion or the whitney houston of the gospel uh she was mm-hmm. the biggest thing out and i was her producer and so uh, it was almost like uh, a david foster situation you know Um, so I I didn't come to the forefront on my own instrumental record I came to the forefront as a producer of somebody else that really went big and then at the overflow was people were like oh yeah he has his own record let me check that out too and so Mm. so I kind of I kind of came in the side door not the front door
0: as a growing artist or songwriter keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties that were getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy to understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. exciting for you to have that happen overnight
1: absolutely and um even now the opportunities that we have had you know it have, have it hasn't been overnight it has, well it was overnight but it was a 30-year night <laughs> <laughs> you know a lot of people just just go from zero all the way to the top but the very the very nature of what i do is backburn so i'm in the gospel arena primarily you know i do some jazz smooth jazz festivals and stuff but i'm known as a gospel musician with a jazz style and so some kind of way i've convinced the the gospel market that i'm this you know phenomenal legendary jazz artist and i and i've convinced the jazz market that i'm this legendary gospel artist i'm just glad they don't have dinner with each other You know, if you see uh, uh, The Wizard of Oz, you know, and you go, uh, uh, Dorothy goes in with her friends, the scarecrow and the tin man and, you know, and the lion and they go before the Oz and, you know, he's shouting, hey, what are you doing? You know, this big, all this huffing and puffing, but there's the guy behind the black curtain over there pushing all the buttons. Mm -hmm. That's me with my career. (laughs) so just don't just don't pull the curtain back on me (laughs) like toto did you know and so and so my 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 music is instrumental in nature so automatically that makes it a back burner format because people don't think about instrumental music when they wake up in the morning now they can't do without it You got instrumental music behind commercials you got instrumental music behind the weather channel you know, so it's part of our experience, but nobody gets up in the morning wanting to turn on instrumental music. It's, they give all mm-hmm. the love to the singers, they give all the love to the songwriters and the singers. And so, instrumental itself is back burner. But when you come to gospel music, gospel music is, is back burner to hip hop and pop, you know. So, not only am I part of a back burner format, I'm part of a back burner. burner creative art, you know, being instrumental and that creative art is part of a back burner format. So I'm way back on the show. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, I've got to do everything I can. i got to stay behind that black curtain and really blow up a lot of steam for anybody to know who Ben Tankard is. So that made mm-hmm. me really work harder because uh, I couldn't be one of those people that were sitting up waiting for the phone to ring before, you know, anything happened. I had to get out and make it happen. So when you know, early in my career, when I wasn't getting phone calls uh, to be on concerts or part of tours, I would call myself, you know, and it being instrumental music, nobody knew what Ben Tankard looked like, you know, because it's instrumental and nobody knew what Ben Tankard sounded like. So I didn't even have to disguise my voice to even be my own manager. <laughs> 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 so I call, you know, let's just say a, a, a Fred Hammond or a, a, a BB and CC Winans tour was going on, and somebody really big, Carmen, or somebody big, I'd call representing Ben Tankert as Ben Tanker's manager and say, Hey, uh, Ben Tankert, the gospel uh, producer, the jazz guy that produced Yolanda Adams. Yeah, I like Yolanda's work. Well, Ben, Ben just had an opening in his schedule. He just had an opening in his schedule for the next six months. Would you like Ben? To, <laughs> would you like Ben to tag along as uh, an opening act for your group, uh, for your tour? Well, we don't have any budget. Well, you know, Ben's been so successful that he doesn't even need your money. He'll come do it for free. Just give him a tape table. Uh, to sell his product afterwards. He just wants to get the music into people's hands. He doesn't need the money. He's, he's done great. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't even need, need your money. He'll get there. Oh, he'll do that? Absolutely. So now here I am on the big stage, and the audience, they don't know that I had to catch Greyhound to get there. They don't know. <laughs> All they know is this guy is playing some pretty neat-sounding instrumental music. Let me purchase it after the concert. So, you know, I, I'd sell a couple thousand dollars worth of product. After the concert, you know, five times a week, you know, you can scrape by on 10,000 10, a week, you know, when you just get started. <laughs> mm-hmm. So my yeah. entire career has kind of been built on those moments where I was interactive with, with myself and interactive with the whole process and not just too glorious or cute or arrogant to, to get my elbows dirty and, mm. and get the work, get this music into the people's hands. Mm
0: do you prefer to kind of be on the back burner like that? Cause I mean, there's some musicians that do, they don't need their name and lights and they don't need, you know, to be on the, at the center of the stage. And they actually prefer to be kind of behind the scenes. Like, so are, are you, would you say you, you prefer that
1: or? I like both ways and, and I, and I love people. And so I, I could take it either way. If I have a choice between being rich and famous, I certainly would rather be rich. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes people do stuff just, a name and i'm not really into doing stuff just for likes i i love my family i love people uh, in fact the reality show than water the Tankers was birthed out of me just taking my iphone and playing tricks on my kids secretly shooting them around the house you know like my daughter was in the kitchen cooking one day you know and uh black people when they have these little when they don't comb their hair in the back of the head they they call it kitchens, you know, like the itty bitty knots at the, the women. that If they haven't got their hair straightened or permed or whatever, they have little knots in the back of their neck and they call them kitchens. And so my daughter was cooking one day in the, in, in, the, in the kitchen. She had just got up, you know, she's in college, she's in her 20s and she hadn't made herself up. So she's downstairs in her gown cooking. She hadn't combed her hair, so her head, hair was matted up in the back. So I snuck up on her with my iPhone and recorded uh, um, a video of her cooking with, and I got a close up on the kitchens, and she kind of felt something behind her. She said, Dad, what are you doing? I said, and I said, the name of this episode is Kitchens in the Kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) And and I posted it on YouTube, and NBC Bravo saw it and said they love it and came and offered me a reality show. (laughs) So that's how- Just like that, just from the video. Yeah. And so we, so uh, we've been on Bravo for three seasons and we had a three season contract with them, which just, we just completed and Now we're getting ready to start shooting season four coming forward. It's going to be syndicated. It's going to be far beyond Bravo, It'll be everywhere. But the mm-hmm. first three seasons with Bravo and that, that put me in front of millions of people every Sunday night, right behind one of those housewife shows, they would play the tankards, you know, and and um, then they allowed me to play some of my music during some of the episodes. So who would have thought that I would be able to take this instrumental music that was back burner and play it for 3 million people every Sunday night behind Atlanta's Hospital? Who would have thought? Mm.
0: Yeah. So if we get back to gospel jazz, and you had said that it wasn't or it was too jazzy for the gospel people, and it was too gospel for the jazz. Mm-hmm. people. So how did you convince those people that it's, uh, it was just the right thing for everyone? Well,
1: um, that's a very, very good question, man. The label, they sent the music out to the gospel stations, and they said, listen, we've got this new young man, Ben Tankard. We don't understand everything he's doing, but he's a good guy. Uh, why don't you just try to give them, a, give them an opportunity, maybe play it behind the commercials or play it behind your prayers or play it as bumper music between uh, your artists. Any way you play him, we'll, we'll appreciate it. Just get started. We know you're not formatted for jazz or gospel jazz, but just play anywhere you want to play. Plug him in, we we'll appreciate it. I thought that was the kiss mm-hmm. of death. Because as a promoter, when you're promoting somebody, you try to paint the picture that this is the best thing since sliced bread. Man, this guy is awesome. You need to play him in heavy rotation. What are you doing? You don't have Ben Tankard? That's the way I would see somebody promoting somebody. Not, well, I don't know what we got. You know, Whatever you can do, we'd we'll appreciate it. I mean, I was like, when I heard the way they had presented it, I was really sick. I was like, oh, my God, that's the kiss of death. I'm never going to get out of here. But all of a sudden, fellas, You know, we got reports back that they were playing my music at, you know, six or 700 gospel stations were playing it 10 and 12 times an hour. I'm like, how is that possible? Well, back then they had no instrumental music that they could use for commercials. So they were trying to take the intros and the exits of gospel songs and try to capture those 30 seconds and use those 30 seconds for their commercials. And it was very frustrating for the editors. But when they got Ben Tankard, they got a whole 10, 12 songs of nothing but instrumental music. Half of it was gospel songs they already knew played in a jazz style, the other half was uh, jazzy songs with a heavenly title like Sunday Vibe, Sunday Drive, that sort of thing. So they, those editors jumped on it, and I became the go to music but every commercial on six or 700 stations. So, they were, so instead of getting heavy rotation, like uh, Kirk Franklin getting played four times a day, I'm getting played nine, 10, 12 times an hour. And so people started calling in and, say, mm-hmm. and saying, hey, what music was that that you were playing behind the funeral home commercial?" what music was that you were playing behind the plumber's commercial? Oh, that was, that was Ben tanker. That was Ben tanker. That was Ben tanker. That was Ben tanker. So if you multiply those calls times, those DJs telling them 700 stations saying my name all day. That was Ben tanker. That was Ben tanker. That was Ben tanker. That's marketing that I could not have purchased.
0: Mm-hmm. Just like the, uh, when you'd go on tour and you'd be on tour for free, but
1: you're know exactly. always
0: asking at the tables. Exactly. So, here's a hypothetical question for you. What would have happened if you didn't hurt your knee in Portland and you, you know, you could play in the NBA. Do you think that, uh, have you ever thought about that?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I used to, I used to, um, ponder that all the time. The real deal is I probably would have been a pretty decent, um, reserve guy. I wouldn't have been, uh, some hall of famer, but I probably would have had a good five to seven years as a reserve guy. I wouldn't have made nearly the name impact that I have made as a musician. Mm-hmm. I think, I think God still honors your dreams, even when they die. Uh, and what happened for me was I used to, every, every single time the playoffs would come on, I would go, Oh man, you know, I could have shoot. I could have been playing in the NBA, you know, and it would only happen. During playoff time, <laughs> you know, during the season, I'm all right. but and, and I'm happy with my family, my kids, my wife, my career. But for some reason, every time the playoffs come on at NBA, I would get a little depressed, like, man, oh, that could have been my bucket list. I could have been, man, I could have been a star. And so I, I think God overheard my thoughts one day with that. And uh, this is how he brought the N- NBA back to me. Uh, I went and did a um, concert in Lansing, Michigan, several years ago, and the guy that picked me up in the limousine uh, was studying to be a sports writer or sports management, and he was driving the limo part-time. Anyway, I'm the kind of guy that I don't meet any strangers. I was really nice to the guy. I started asking him what was he doing with his life. In fact, I didn't even sit in the back of the limo uh, uh, when he drove. I sat up front. I sat up front with him and kind of kicked it with him, and there's nobody in the back of this stretch limo. And so so after the concert, he took me back to my airplane. I was flying my own airplane. He took me back to the private airport. I sat up front with him again. And I was like, man, what you want to do with your life? You know, I'll give him the advice. He's a younger guy. He's in college. And so um, when I got ready to get on my plane, he goes, Mr. Tankard. You know, this guy is crying. He's crying at this point. He goes, Mr. Tankard, man, you're so nice to me. I can't believe it, man. A lot of the people that I fly uh, in this business, they're very arrogant. they, They sit back there and they treat you like dirt. But, man, you sat up here with me. You treated me like a human being. Man, I just want to say you're going to hear from me one day. I'm like, I didn't do it for that. I didn't, You know, um, I'm just a nice guy. I just love people, and I just hope the best for you. So I embraced them, prayed for him, got on the plane. When, you know, 10 years later, the guy calls me and goes, hey, Mr. Tanger, this is Kevin. You remember me? I drove your limo for you in and, and Lansing about 10 years ago. And I said, yeah, Kevin, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm working for the NBA now in, in um, player development, and uh, I've been looking for you because I'd like to hire you as a motivational speaker for the NBA. And that would mean you would come to the games, you would sit behind the team, you would support the team in any support role, and uh, we, you'd be there at our beck and call. If a player had a challenge that he needed somebody to talk to, you'd be the guy that would be on call. You can go to any game you want to and sit behind the team on the bench. I'm like, what are you talking about? Look at this is a miracle. This is where I was sitting 20 years ago, on the bench. <laughs> and so uh, God brought that whole NBA thing back. So I'm still able to experience the NBA thing. And in, in the, the teaching summits where I meet with players, I'm able to ask them what they want to do after they get out of basketball and why they're writing out their dreams goals because we have tablets for them that, to fill out information. I sit down to the piano and I'm, I'm playing you know, a song while these guys are writing out their dreams and stuff. So while I was playing one day at the last summit, a God came and told me in my spirit, he said, look, you still ended up playing for the NBA. I was, I was, I was play, playing yeah. piano though. <laughs> yeah, it just goes to show
0: that you have to always, you know, be open to anyone. That's what, uh, or at least people that we talk to on this podcast are... You know they might have met someone a long time ago, and then ten years later they're there's someone huge and they still have that connection because they were they were nice to them they were friends they helped them and they needed something and uh, it's it's definitely important you never know who's holding
1: the key to your next level
0: you know? that's right that's right so something we ask a lot of people on here who have experienced a lot of success is how much do you think kind of your hard work obviously you're a really hard worker and diligent and you you probably uh don't rest very often, how much of your hard work and how much of your faith or your um, luck or just the whatever you want to call it kind of has played into your success uh, in your career and your life?
1: I believe that the hard work is paramount, but I also believe that hard work without the proper mentorship is, can be just wasted effort. Never confuse uh, movement with progress. Uh, because there's a whole lot of movement going on out there, but doesn't necessarily mean you're moving in the right direction. And so I believe that my faith in God, faith in my family, faith in my mentors, finding somebody that's doing it better than me and looking up to them. You know, I, I've got a mentor for every different aspect of my life. I'm a pilot, so I have a mentor that I look up to for an airplane as a minister. Um, Joel Osteen is a good friend of mine. He's, he's he has the biggest church in America. So as a minister, uh, he's my hero. As a as a as a mentor for 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 my teaching and preaching, but as a musician, I always looked up to, to Quincy Jones. As an entertainer, uh, being on television, I look up to um, Steve Harvey, Oprah Winfrey. I got a high respect for Maggie, Magic Johnson in the business arena, you know, Larry Bird. You know those people. So I think that. Um, Hard work is good, but it's got to be targeted. You got to keep a fresh attitude. Um, don't begin the day with your cell phone. Begin the day in gratitude and how you can be uh, a blessing to somebody else. Because just like somebody else is mentoring you, you should be mentoring somebody else. That's that's all a part of that whole reward system. I call it the the boomerang system, because what goes around comes around. So just don't uh, just don't move to Nashville to try to discover. Uh, be discovered but find somebody that's not doing quite as good as you and discover them be a blessing to somebody else because it all come back around Hmm. Hmm. interesting interesting so did you have
0: any mentors um you know in the time when you were not really sure you were catching dogs did you would you have a mentor there or did you was that all? i
1: didn't because um uh, at when I first started, you know, there was nobody doing what I was doing, and I was in Tallahassee, Florida. Not a whole lot of gospel going on there. And so, when I did finally move to Nashville, that's when my career took off. And so, it's very important where you are, uh, where where you live, you know, your environment, because I believe your environment will change you before you change it. If I was at you guys' house right now, at your place right now, if I turn the thermostat up to 120 degrees. No matter how cool a person you are, within a few minutes, you're going to be hot because thermostat changed the environment. So the environment will change you before you change it. That's why I like to tell musicians that New York, L.A., Nashville, Atlanta, if you getting the fresh start. That's probably where you want to go. And, uh, and, and because, um, you know, who you are around will influence your thinking and opportunities. There might be opportunity to play on a record. And they'll say, listen. You know, if you live in town, come on over and do the session. We'll pay you to do the session. But we would never fly you in and put you in a hotel to make it
0: happen. Yeah, we we just talked to someone who was uh, based in London and had a big opportunity to work with someone in, in L.A. And he's like, I just I have to move to L.A. I can't not be there because if I'm not, I'm going to I'm going to miss out on this. So mm-hmm. I, I can certainly see what you're saying there. Have you ever kind of stepped back and just thought, you know, what you've accomplished is kind of
1: surreal? Every single from? morning. <laughs> I mean, I you know I live in this big house. You know, uh, one one room is the size of the house me and my folks were raised in. I'm like, man, to to have a big home, and then we live right behind the airport. I can take the golf cart to my hangars. I have two hangars and two airplanes over there. Who does that? You know, to get up, take the golf cart to the hangar. Hmm, which airplane should I take off with this morning? And which vacation home should I go have lunch at and, and be back? is that. It's crazy. It's crazy and I I never hmm. I, you know, I never get used to it. I'm still overwhelmed. I'm still hoping nobody pinches me and wakes me up.
0: Yeah. I hope that doesn't happen either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for for your sake and mine. Well, I think that's that about wraps it up uh, as far as the Ben Tankard story. Okay. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to talk about?
1: Uh you know, um, the part that um the part that Uh, your network plays in helping you do what you do. Like my, you know, my relationship with you guys, my relationship with my banker, my relationship with my airplane mechanic, uh, my yard man. I think, um, I think those people sometimes get played um, in in terms of the acknowledgement. You know, I'm super excited to be yoked with you guys. I'm super excited that that you all took the time to interview me. I'm excited that you allowed me to, you know, work out the deal with my song, so I could uh, get more resource going. I'm in the middle of an airplane transition when it happens, so merging my, our thoughts together, you know, you guys helped me to finish uh, some uh, advancement that I was doing on one of my airplanes. Without that advancement, you know, FAA is always coming up with new rules and stuff. It's a special piece of equipment that you got to have in your plane now and if you don't have it by February, January one can't fly the airplane. It just allows them to spot you faster and track Well, my relationship with uh, a realtor exchange allowed me to add this piece of equipment without having to, you know, you know, interrupt my my family flow in terms of my finances. So I think it's important that uh, uh, everybody's important. Your banker, or you know, your your meat man, your grocer, your mechanics, you know, your mailman. I just want to say that all of you guys are just as much a part of the Grammys and the Stellas and the Doves and the Tours as the people that you see on
0: stage. Well, we're happy to play that part, certainly. Um, yeah, and that's a, it's excellent advice just to keep all those people people around you and close yes, and, and there to help you. Great. I think that about wraps it up for us. It's been, uh, been great talking to you. You're a great storyteller. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, you can inspire some people, uh, whoever's listening to this right now. Thanks for joining us and listening to Ben's story on this episode of The Big Break. Be sure to keep up with Ben on social media through the links in the show notes. We appreciate you listening and sharing these great stories with your friends and colleagues. Be sure to catch us next week with a brand new episode Tuesday morning. Until then, take care.